You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Right now, we are getting you ready for the next phase of the offseason as the Seahawks have just wrapped up OTAs. We are now looking ahead to training camp and then, of course, the regular season. Welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the team, joined, as always, by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, John. Hi, Jen. Good to see you again this week. Saw you briefly at a Mariners game doing your other job. But always with the Seahawks in my heart, John. Exactly. We get it. You've got, you know, you've got multiple teams. It's okay. Yes. Well, it's the only way that I can stay out of trouble and not spend money that I don't have. I mean, that's that's really kind of what this boils down to. And we now have a better idea of what we can expect when we see the Seahawks team on the field this fall. But how about before we even get to the football stuff, the news that the 12s are going to be back and not just partial capacity, but in full force. Lumen Field will be full again. That's going to be awesome. You were there. We were all there last year and saw how awkward it is playing in front of no fans. It just... It's not right. It was strange. And, you know, the players did a good job creating their own juice, as Pete Carroll put it. But it was not the same as having all those fans there. Awesome news. going to be really exciting. I I cannot wait for that home opener against Tennessee. That place is going to be going bonkers. Yeah, I think there's going to be some pent-up energy for sure. The noise-canceling headphones will return to the sidelines. Last year, I didn't need them. I mean, you could hear things happening on the opposite side of the field without any problem. So I guess I will miss the little insights of the uh, jabs back and forth that happen on the field, but I will gladly take the 12s uh, any day over uh, what it felt like last week. Now, the 12s are going to have a lot to cheer for, but they're trying to figure out what this offense is going to look like. John, we've got some takeaways from the OTAs. Offense is one of them, but give me a couple of the other takeaways that you think fans should be aware of as we start moving into the training camp portion of yeah, the season. Yeah, you know, other than, you know, we'll get into all the new offense stuff with Shane Waldron, but other than that, the two things to me were on the other side of the ball. It was seeing Daryl Taylor not just healthy and out there, but doing strong side linebacker, which, you know, he's still going to have to compete for it. I'm sure Cody Barton will be in the mix, but that's a really interesting option there of, not going with, you know, necessarily a true normal linebacker, but going with that hybrid defensive end, kind of the Bruce Irvin model that they had so much success with. So, you know, again, he's, he's a second year guy, didn't play as a rookie. He's going to have to compete to earn that spot, but very intriguing option there. And then the other thing is just seeing Marquise Blair healthy and out there running around. I mean, I, he missed so much last year. He, people might've kind of forgotten about him by the end of the year, but you go back to training camp and it was, you know, the guys that everyone was buzzing about. I mean, obviously you have Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, but the guys everyone was buzzing about in camp besides the two most obvious ones were Jamal Adams, who was new and making all the plays, DK Metcalf, who obviously lived up to that hype, and Marquise Blair. I mean, he was a playmaker. He was all over the place in training camp in that mock game. So getting him healthy and back in that secondary could be really huge for this defense. 
Well, and without Jamal Adams at OTAs, he had excused absence from the team as he was attending to a family matter. Marquise did steal the headlines in the secondary. What does his return mean for any of those alignments that we could see in any of those defensive packages? Because, you know, we talk about not having established starters at cornerback, but you still have a lot of DBs back there that can mix and match in different ways. Yeah, I'll be really curious to see what they do. I mean, if we're just talking, you know, traditional base and nickel defense, then he's your most likely candidate for the nickel job. Although Ugo Mighty played well there and is, you know, he's going to be competing like crazy for it. So yeah, I don't know if maybe there's ways they try to get both those guys on the field this year to, to utilize their skill sets. It'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that secondary because they've got, you know, they obviously have the two pro bowl guys at safety and then you've got two really strong options at nickel. And then, you know, they like the competition at cornerback, but there's no set starters there yet. Yeah. And Pete Carroll says that competition at corner, that is going to go all the way through training camp. It might be, you know, I would say week one, but the reality is you're probably going to know that by the third week of the preseason, because those guys are going to need to have worked together and get that chemistry and that timing worked out. That is absolutely one of the storylines that we're going to be looking at going into the camp. He said that Trey Flowers has come in. He knows what that competition looks like. He is ready to go. I'm also curious, John, your impressions of Trey Brown, the rookie that the Seahawks drafted because it was interesting to see him and DJ Reed on the field together that is not the type of DB Pete Carroll has gone after in his no, time here not at all and I think you know Pete Carroll's kind of admitted that DJ Reed helped change their mind a little bit of look this guy was by no means what they look for physically in an outside corner but he played so well that he compensated for that I don't know if, you know, we'll see if they'd be willing to put both those guys on the field together. If that's too many short guys for them, I say short, they're taller than me, but um, <laughs> football short. How about that? Uh, but D, or I'm sorry, Trey Brown, you know, look, it's, it's way too early to know what he is as a player out there. I mean, DBs aren't even really allowed to make plays on the ball yet, uh, at this point. Cause they want to keep guys safe, but I love the attitude, just the, the chip on the shoulder that guy has that he's got that competitive spirit. They love that is so perfect for a defensive back. So we'll have to see how it all plays out, but it's, it's going to be a fascinating competition as you alluded to. That's one they'll probably take their time on figuring out. Well, and if we don't see Trey Brown on the field as part of the defense, there is a fair chance that we are going to see him certainly on special teams. He could be in line to be a returner at some point. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys who are going to be in the mix for those jobs and and he's one of them. Both their top draft picks, him and Eskridge both had some, big returns in college and could be factors there. I mean, DJ Reed was awesome in limited return opportunities. If they want him out there, if they, you know, if he's starting at corner, maybe you take him off of that. But yeah, those, those return jobs will be fun to see in the preseason. Well, before we flip it over to offense and talk about Dwayne Eskridge and what that looks like from that side of the ball, Daryl Taylor. It was a surprise to see him working at that linebacker position, but I think I was equally surprised by what he looked like in general. His body has changed over the last year, and he does look more like a Bruce Irvin body type than what we saw from him as a rookie. Yeah, he came in quite a bit leaner. I I believe he said when we talked to him earlier, he does want to put some of that weight back on between now and the start of the season, but He'll definitely play a little lighter than maybe he did in college and he was prepared to play out last year had the injury not occurred. And yeah, I mean, look, there's a big difference between looking the part in May and June and being ready for it come, you know, September. But 
it's a very intriguing option. He, they, you know, they were very high on him, obviously, to draft him, trade up to draft him in the second round last year. So if he can win that job, he'll he'll be a really intriguing player. The way he could do that dual role of, you know, base base linebacker and getting after the passer and and passing downs. Yeah, and he needed to drop just a little bit of that weight because he came in originally as a DN, somebody that was just going to rush the passer. Now with that linebacker role, he needed to lean up just a little bit. But I know that that leads to the question of what about KJ? Yeah, I mean, they keep saying the door's open. And I think, you know, to some extent, it will be all the way up until the season if he's unsigned and, you know, any injuries could change things in a hurry. But look, if a team is this far into the offseason and making, making plans for the next year. It, you know, it looks like they might be ready to move on with the young guys they have, but again, you know, they're not going to shut that door. KJ's a, you know, an all-time great Seahawk, a ring of honor type guy. And if, if things happen to work out, it'd be awesome to see him back. I mean, selfishly, we all love having him in that locker room. He's a great guy to talk to, but yeah, it's one of those situations where if it doesn't work out, you just hope he finds success somewhere because he's such a good dude and still a great player. I mean, you look at what he did last year. He was fantastic. Well, and it's been 10 years of Bobby and KJ side by side running this defense. And Bobby Wagner said, look, I would hope that there's a chance that he can come back. It's hard to imagine one without the other. But what does that linebacking unit look like now? I mean, I guess, look, you've got some fresh legs. If you're going to have Daryl Taylor back there and if Jordan Brooks is going to get all the playing time, that's also intriguing because we got a taste of what he could do last year, but now there would be no question as to what his role is in that unit. Yeah. And that, I mean, that would be a big part of if you do indeed decide to, to not bring KJ right back. It's part of that is you want to get that first round pick Jordan Brooks on the field and see him every down because, you know, he, when, when he's only playing a base defense, a lot of games that limited uh, 30, 40% of the snaps. And, you know, he, he looked so good by the end of the last year and brings just such a big element of speed and playmaking. I'm sure they're really eager to, to have him be that every down player next to Bobby Wagner. Well, and Jordan said, when we talked to him during OTAs, you know, he said, first of all, he's been talking to KJ a lot Mm -hmm. and he does not look at it as trying to replace KJ because nobody's going to replace KJ, right? He's just trying to step in and be the best linebacker that he can be. And it helps that he can get on the field right now in OTAs. Yeah, he got none of this. Exactly. Like there's a whole group of guys that have no idea what OTAs are like because they couldn't get on the field or in the building last year. Yeah. I mean, any, any rookies around the league that contributed significantly last year, it's an impressive feat because they were way behind where any rookie would be. You got, you know, none of the OTAs, no rookie mini camp. It was just, boom, you're on the field for training camp and you have a month and that's it. So no preseason games either, which are big for those rookies, especially when you're talking about a defensive player, you need those games to tackle to get used to the the physicality. So, you know, his his rookie year started a little slow. There are some bumps in the road, some injuries, but once he got going, he he looked like a special player. And again, with with the full off season and a full training camp and preseason, I, I think we're going to see a really good version of Jordan Brooks this year. Well, and what do you make of Pete Carroll saying that the incoming rookie class is getting more attention than any rookie class ever has, partly because of the disparity between what happened last year and what's happening this year. But what does that mean for our rookies this year? And I guess you could even lump guys like Jordan Brooks and Daryl Taylor into what that's going to lead to in training camp. Yeah, I mean, 
as most people are aware, the veterans for the most part stayed away from the early part of the offseason workout program, which is voluntary. And as Bobby Wagner said, they kind of wanted to reclaim the word voluntary there that has slowly been redefined over the years. So what that meant while the veterans weren't there until that final week of OTAs right before minicamp, it meant all these rookies and, you know, the inexperienced young guys, there were about 35 of them on hand. You know, Daryl Taylor was one of them. They got all that extra work, all those extra reps, the extra focus from the coaches. And there, as Pete Carroll said, they are more prepared than any rookie class he's had. That doesn't mean they're going to be better in terms of just skill and talent and all that, but just their preparation heading into training camp, they're really going to be ready to go. And that's going to help, you know, there's obviously only the three picks, but also some of these undrafted guys who look with three draft picks, there's going to be room for some undrafted guys to make this team and contribute. So that's going to be a big advantage to those guys going into camp. Well, and it's peace of mind for Pete Carroll too, because he could be nervous to send these guys out for five or six weeks before bringing them back to training camp and the focus that they've showed and the progress that they have made in the off season work, he said is greater than what he anticipated. And he's got no qualms that these guys are going to stay in it and come back in great shape and ready to pick up where they left off. And I think the only player that might be disappointed that everything is not entirely virtual this year is Michael Dixon which I know we don't talk about the punter often, but he did get a new contract. He got paid, yep. He got paid. He celebrated with pizza. I thought his comments about his off-season work last year was really interesting. Yeah, he said he likes it because he can just be home on his own field where, you know, find a field, get a bag of balls and go kick. Because to his point, he's, you know, everybody's different, but he's a guy that likes to kick a lot he get you know wants a lot of reps and just out there banging banging away at the ball and outside of the structure of the off-season workouts where he's got to do a lot of other stuff he could just go out there and kick away and he he said it helped him and obviously he had a fantastic 2020 season so i'm sure he'll be okay with you know having to do things a traditional way but yeah if if anybody benefited from that it might have been him yeah he said he punted for three hours straight Last I wonder year. if I wonder if as he gets older, he's going to look back and be like, "How did I do that?" He's going to be that like crafty older punter in his late thirties or even forties, being like, "How did I ever punt for three hours straight?" Okay, so that's where your question is. Here's my question: How do you balance out your workout so that one leg is not remarkably larger than the I other? I don't know one. that you can. Like, you just—I think if you're a kicker or a punter in the NFL, you're a little lopsided. Might really. I've never once asked them. Do you think that they would be offended if I said, hey, Michael, do you think your legs are lopsided? (laughs) I think think you need to do that just for the awkward pause. (laughs) I totally will. Yeah, I do remember Stephen Hauschka used to warm up with a soccer ball and he would kick both footed, he said, to keep that balance. And I don't think that was as much about strength. I think he was worried about like flexibility and becoming like, so he can't run right because he's so awkward. So there is something that that the guys... (laughs) that I think they want to keep a little balance so they're not too one-sided. All right. That is going to be my goal. I'm going to get to the bottom of that this year. And every former punter and kicker I come across, I'm asking the question, how do you not get lopsided? And at what point does that wear off? (laughs) We're off the rails. No, we're not. No, we're not. We are 12 minutes in. And finally, 
we are going to talk about the offense. Because if we started with the offense, we were never going to transition to any other phase of the game because all of the questions have been around, what does the offense look like under Shane Waldron? And we have a few ideas, but John, I, I do think they wanted to make it very challenging for us to, you, to perhaps pick up on some of those new. You don't think it was a coincidence that every off-season workout open to media had the offense on the farthest field? From where the well, video you know, I mean, surely maybe they just like the right? breeze coming off Could the be. lake. They like the lake. It is beautiful yeah, over there. You got the eagles really flying is. around. Yeah, I mean, look, there is no reason to give away more than you have to this offense. It's a big advantage a team with a new coordinator has going into the year is that week one opponent is preparing for you, not knowing what they're gonna get. And Indianapolis has a very talented defense. You you don't want to give anything away. You don't have to. So. That is going to be the big storyline all throughout training camp, preseason, people looking for tells. I'm sure you're going to have people breaking down video from Twitter of fans and trying to glean a bunch out of it, but they're not going to show a lot. They're, they're going to probably keep it pretty vanilla anytime there are fans or media on hand and then kind of wait to unveil it till the season. But to me, what's more telling than what we're seeing out there now is what we're hearing from players and from Pete Carroll, who all seem very excited about what Shane's brought so far. Okay. So we need to clear up some misconceptions based on what we know from what we heard from Pete Carroll and players. There's three really big misconceptions that I think we need to level set going into training camp. Number one, this is not the same offense that the Rams ran. And I know that it is easy to point back to what they did when Shane Waldron was part of that coaching staff. But John, we know this is not going to look the same because Gerald Everett, who came over from the Rams said, there's still plenty that he doesn't know or has not seen yet that they are installing right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously there will be elements of it, but look, you, you don't have a hall of fame quarterback going into year 10 who right rightly Russell Wilson is going to have some opinions of what he likes in an offense and what he does well you don't come in and scrap everything he likes just to start over with you know the Rams offense so you bring you marry some elements of what they did well in LA that Shane Waldron likes that Pete Carroll likes and you combine it with what Russell Wilson already likes and does well and you know you make your own offense and look Shane Waldron had his own offensive thoughts and philosophies before he got to the Rams. So I'm sure there's things the Rams didn't do that he would have loved to implement if he were in charge. So yeah, I, you know, there's going to be some carryover to be sure, but it's not going to be the same thing. Okay. Here's the second misconception we need to clear up. There are no crazy route trees. They did not reinvent the wheel when it comes to routes. When we talk about this being an offense that has not been seen before. What we're saying is this is not exactly what the Rams ran. This is not exactly what the Seahawks Rams. It's exactly to your point, John, it is a mix of things. When we hear receivers like DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett talking about the routes, what we're actually talking about, and I'm going to borrow this phrase from our, our good friend, Michael Bumpus, is bend, but don't break routes right? We don't, it, they don't have to be as sharp. You can bend those routes a little bit more. The receivers are getting freedom is what I'm hearing when we say this is unique and this is different. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to benefit Tyler Lockett as much as anybody. He has always been a receiver who has kind of that creative route running in him that I think if he played his career in a really strict system, whereas just you do this exact thing, he would still do good at because he's a very talented player, but it, he would not reach his potential because part of what makes him so good is his intelligence, his creativity as a route runner. And obviously he, he and Russell Wilson are 
on the same page. They've been doing this a long time together. So him having some of that flexibility to look at what the defense is giving and make some decisions at the line of scrimmage is really going to be exciting to see. Okay. Here's the third misconception we need to address. The Seahawks up-tempo versus no No huddle. huddle. Yep. It does not mean the Seahawks are going to be going no huddle start to finish. What does up-tempo really mean in this, John? I mean, it can can look different in a lot of ways, but for the most part, when they're talking about tempo right now, it's how quickly you're in and out of the huddle, how quickly you're getting the play call out, getting to the line of scrimmage. It's the tempo of the whole process from the play ending to getting that next snap off. It does not mean, as you said, no huddle run up there and just get the snap off in 10 seconds. I think they're going to be prepared to do that when they need it. And they've always done that well when, when they need to call on it in late game situations. But I think it's just more the the tempo of, of the entire play process. And here's a couple other things that whether they're misconceptions or again, just level setting, the Seahawks are still going to run the ball. Yes. Everything comes off of the run. In fact, if you go back and look at the Rams numbers, the last couple of years, they have more average rushing yards a game than the Seahawks do. Yeah, it's not about, you know, we've had this conversation a million times and the talk about balance has is, is never been about we're running it this many times, we're throwing it this many times. It's, it's the ability to do both well when you need it. And I think we're going to see some new elements of the running game that weren't there before. You know, maybe that'll be some of what they bring over from LA. They, they had a pretty good creative running game there in Los Angeles. And I think, you know, when we talk about that, you got to look at Andy Dickerson too, what he'll bring in. Um, on his side of it, you know, as the run game coordinator. So yeah, they're going to still want to run the ball They're, You know, they're not going to necessarily run it 50 times a game, but that will always be part of the offense. I think piggybacking off of that, one of the most interesting comments really to me throughout all of this talk about the offense we heard from Pete Carroll was, I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he basically said like, you know, I'm staying out of Shane's way right now. Cause he has such a good command of it. And I think there's a fear of some Seahawks fans that, it doesn't matter who your coordinator brings in. Pete's going to make them do this, this, and this. And it's going to be this old school offense of trying to just run it all the time. And we'll see what happens come, you know, September, October. But right now, the way Pete Carroll's talking about it, he's getting out of the way and letting Shane do his thing. Yeah, it because of the way that he is able to so clearly communicate and the way that the guys are picking up what it is that they want that offense to look like. And here's the other things. Fans should not be disappointed to see shorter routes, right? Last year, you had DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who both went over a thousand receiving yards. Okay. Their yards after catch numbers accounted for about a third of their total yards. If you take a look at the Rams offense with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, that was the Rams top two leading receivers. Half of their receiving yards were yards after catch. They had the same amount of yards, but it's how they got those yards. And so I think when we take a look at this, expect something that's in that shorter to, you know, kind of mid range window, not everything is going to be deep down the field. And I think that opens a lot for this offense. And it goes back to what we were saying in freedom and wide receivers. Yeah. And a couple of points on that, that I think are really important. One, you know, we heard the comment from Pete Carroll last year about, you know, they don't want to keep, playing against these two deep defenses they're just taking away the deep ball yeah running the game running the ball helps that a lot and that'll be part of it but another big part of it is when they're giving you those looks taking the the underneath stuff to me the other big part of this you know again we don't know exactly what this offense is but assuming there's elements of that we keep talking about the pass protection this offense how this offseason how much russell wilson is getting hit 
a ton of that is not the offensive line. A lot of that is when you're throwing the ball deep all the time and you have a quarterback holding the ball to make the deep throw, maybe making a pass rusher miss spinning out, hanging on the ball a long time. A lot of sacks come off that. If you can get the ball out of his hands faster, if you can maybe, you know, play action, bootleg him more, your offensive line doesn't have to play any better to cut those sack numbers drastically. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the one thing that we could tell from watching the offense at a distance, they are going to run more bunch sets and they are going to have reduced splits and they are going to use the field differently. And I think that helps too, because if you're going to run everything inside the hashes and you've got that outside open on the field, boy, all DK or Tyler or Dwayne has to do is get in that open space and they'll be easy to see, right? With nobody covering, you're not going to be able to cover three speedsters in some of these formations every time out. It's just not going to happen. So I do think it's going to be exciting, but it might not look exactly the way Seahawks fans are picturing it in their mind right now. John, we've now spent 10 minutes talking about the offense. So that was good. My plan worked. It was perfect. It worked. Maybe not perfect. Brilliant. Okay. Next thing up for the Seahawks is training camp that starts in late July. We will have three preseason games this year. Don't forget a 17 game schedule that is brand new for the NFL. So what they've done is taken away one of the preseason games. They've moved it to a regular season game. When the Seahawks take the field in July, this is how we're wrapping up today, John. What are the two things you are most interested or intrigued in seeing? Well, we just talked a ton about the offense and I, I guess I'm most intrigued by seeing what we can glean from it. But again, I don't think that's going to necessarily be a lot, but still just every little bit will be interesting to see. And just, you know, how comfortable is Russell Wilson with what they're doing? You know, how are the receivers coming along? And I guess I'll lump into that also just the progress of Dwayne Eskridge because, you know, they're counting on him to be a playmaker and, you know, Potentially, if he's that number three guy, he'll be on the field a ton. Other side of the ball, I want to see that competition at cornerback. I want to see, you know, does Kill Witherspoon just come right in and win the job? We know free agent cornerbacks have sometimes had a little trouble stepping in, but he's coming from a defense very similar. He's, you know, fits the prototype. I, I think he's got the potential to be a really good player. Does DJ Reed hang on to a starting job? It would certainly appear he's a front runner, but again, he'll have to earn it. And then you mentioned Trey Flowers earlier. You've got Pierre Desir back. You're converting Demarius Randall back to corner. You got the rookie Trey Brown. It's, you know, it's a very deep competition right now. And I will, it'll be one that we'll have to wait a while to see how it goes. How about you? Yeah. Nice. Cause you took mine. So I had to come up with two new ones on the fly, but I you did. let me go first. I know that's true. That's not happening again. <laughs> I want to see Chris Carson and I want to see how they utilize Chris Carson. He was not part of OTAs. He was welcoming a new baby to the family. So I want to see how they can utilize Chris Carson. And on the defensive side of things, there is almost an embarrassment of riches at defensive end. And I want to see what that rotation could possibly look like and what the interior of that defensive line looks like. For as much as we talk about the secondary, we all know that pass rush was key when the Legion of Boom was dominating. So was that pass rush. So I want to see what that looks like and see if the Seahawks can really jump on that earlier in the year instead of what we saw last year with needing help kind of mid-season and and needing some time to turn the corner on that. So that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's one of the biggest things with this defense is, as you said, it took them half a season to get the pass rush going. And with that came drastic improvements in the entire defense. So you've got your guys back. You added Kerry Hyder. I, I think if they can start off where they picked up pass rush wise, this defense has a chance to be awfully good. 
And I think it's just going to feel awfully good to get on the field for training camp. I would imagine we might see some 12s at training camp, but we will certainly see them. There's a good chance. We'll find out later. When the Seahawks take the field, we know that they will be there for sure. I think that's going to do it for us today, John. And we'll just make plans to reconvene once training camp starts. Should we wish our producer a happy 30th birthday, even though it's a little late? We should. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yep. That's always good. We'll send them out on a high note. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back with more Seahawks Insiders podcast when the Seahawks get underway with training camp in July.